Good morning. It is such a blessing to be able to be here today. I am so grateful to be in your presence. Um, I, this morning, whenever I got up and started getting ready, I kept thinking about home. Uh, I miss my home congregation, but uh, I think about them getting ready this morning and our, our drive to the church building that we make and our normal conversations and, and being there and, and being with the ones that I'm closest to. And I miss them very much, but I'm also grateful to be here with you. Looking forward to this week. Uh, it's a week that I've looked forward to with great anticipation. And uh, I know that there is a lot of blessing in store for all of us. My wife and I come to be servants here in whatever capacity we can serve and help. And in any way this week, we will be, we will be glad to. Anything that we do, we do under the oversight of the elders. And uh, we also come here with the expectation of you serving us. You have a lot to offer us. And so we pray that through our mutual interaction and fellowship this week that, that God can be exalted and we can be edified and be encouraged and strengthened in, in our faith and in our walk with the Lord. Um, Van told me that this meeting is just general edification and exhortation for the church, for the believers, and so the messages that we have will be directed towards believers. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, still consider very closely what we have to say because even though we speak to the edification of the church, God's Word is always applicable to the sinner. And there are truths that you need to know and understand, and there are people here at this congregation that stand ready to study with you and to speak to you concerning the gospel. You know, whenever you have an opportunity like this to speak to a large group of people, you want to be sure you give them your best shot. <laughs> and so in, in, in planning for this meeting, thinking of some topics to talk about, uh, one of the things that I wanted to do this morning is speak to the subject of not of the world. You know, whenever we talk about the world and not being of the world, what exactly does that mean? What does that look like in a practical sense? How can I know whether I am of the world or I am not of the world? And so we're going to look this morning at the prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples and the concern that he had for them on the night that he was to be betrayed. And as he was praying to the Father, he prayed for the disciples that they might not be one. But he also prayed in his prayer that his disciples were not of the world. And so we want to understand what Jesus meant by that and understand what that looks like in the day and age in which we live. Our reading will come from John 17, verses 13 to 17. Where the Bible says, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by thy truth, thy word is truth. And so here in this prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples, he makes the assertion several times that they are not of the world. Well, what does it mean to be of the world? If we're not to be of the world, what does it mean to be of the world? You know, whenever we study our Bible and we look at different words, most of us use concordances and lexicons to define big words like redemption, uh, propitiation, justification, things like that. You know, some of the most important words in the, Bibles, in, the, in the Bible are the little words, of. The word of can play such a great significance in properly understanding 
a Bible text. The word but. The word and. The word the. Those little words carry with them great descriptive meanings that can cause an understanding of a Bible term or a Bible verse to open up and blossom in our understanding. Well, what does the word of mean in this text? You know, whenever we read in our Bibles, the word of is translated from, I I believe, more than 10 different Greek words. But in this instance, the word of comes from a little Greek word which means ek. And the word ek in the Greek denotes origin or the point whence action or motion proceeds. Where something starts from, where something is derived from and continues from that point. And so whenever the Lord is talking about being of the world or not of the world, he's talking about This group of people, these disciples, their actions, their conduct, their mode of living doesn't begin in the world. It doesn't have its root in the world. It doesn't grow and proceed from the world. That's what it means to be of the world. It means that the origin of our understanding, the origin of our reasoning, the origin of the conduct of our life is rooted and grounded in the world or the world system as it's referred to sometimes. Now whenever we talk about the world, we have a picture of a globe up there, but we're not talking about uh, the world in a geographical sense, but rather we're talking about the world in a biblical sense. We're talking about the world, that system of beliefs and reasons and imaginations that is under the lordship of the God of this world, Satan himself, which Jesus prayed for the Lord to deliver his disciples from. And from that lordship over the world, there is created an animus towards God in opposition to God. And whenever we think about the world, we need to see the world for what the world is, an enemy of God. The world is not a neutral place. The world is not what you make it out to be. The world is evil. The world is against God. We need to understand that and and, and see the world with great clarity. And that's a word I'm going to use a lot this morning is clarity. To see things in their most basic and fundamental structure so that the confusions that we find ourselves in and being deceived by the world can be put from us where we can see clearly exactly what we're talking about. So what is the opposite of being of the world? So what does it mean then if we're not of the world? Well, it means that our reasons, our our reasoning, our life, and our conduct doesn't originate in the world, but it originates somewhere else. In 1 John 4, verses 5 to 6, John writes, They are of the world, speaking of false teachers and false prophets. He says they're of the world. In other words, their reasoning, their rationale, their conduct of living, it all has its root in the world and it proceeds from the world. And since it has its root in the world and proceeds from the world, it's against God. And notice that he says in verse number 6 that we are of God. 
Well, if being of the world means that you are rooted in the world and your reasoning and your lifestyle and your conduct has its beginning in the world and proceeds from the world, to be of God means that our reasoning and our rationale and our lifestyle and our conduct has its root in God and proceeds from God. Notice that he says that those people that are of the world, they speak as of the world. The world has its own language. The world has its own language. And the world hears that language. But those who are of God, God has his own language. And those that are of God hear the language of God. And those that are not of God, they don't hear God. You see, whenever we speak from God, whenever we speak of God, and the world doesn't want to listen to us, it shouldn't throw us into a panic. We should just simply say, that's the way things are. You know, we'll talk about issues and talk about problems in life and we'll be sitting around and we'll talking about, you know, different ideas and different plans and then finally somebody will speak up and then they'll say, well, you know what, people just need Jesus. <laughs> just cut right to the chase. People just need Jesus. And we, 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 and we may think, in our, well, yeah, that sounds good, but that's kind of an oversimplification of the problem and people aren't going to listen to that anyway. Well, if they're not going to listen to Jesus... What else can we do? And I tell you what we try to do, we try to jump into the world's conversations and speak the world's language and put a spiritual spin on it so that it will make be acceptable to the world but won't carry with it the full weight of the truth of God's word. We marginalize the truth to make it more palatable to the world instead of speaking clear, clarity to the world about sin and about the need for Jesus. People that are of God speak clearly about the need, the sin of the world and the need for Jesus and they're not going to find themselves bogged down in all of the language of the world to try to create some type of word salad that the world will accept from us but doesn't fully express the truth that's necessary for people to be saved. And then John says, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. People that listen to the world and won't listen to God, that's the spirit of error. People that listen to God but don't listen to the world, that's the spirit of truth. Pretty clear, isn't it? <laughs> Pretty simple. You know, Satan does a magnificent job of taking the simple and the basic and the fundamental and making it so hard and so difficult. And we need to understand the simplicity and the clarity of being of the world or being of God. You know, John goes on to say, or rather Jesus, as he's praying to the Father about the disciples not being of the world. He says in verse number 14 of our text, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. In verse 17 he says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so in our not being of the world, that is directly tied to the fact that God has given us his word. 
And so whenever we think of us being of the world or not of the world, whenever we look at our life and whenever we look at our reasoning, does our reasoning and our life and our conduct originate in the Word? Again, the word of means denoting our actions and our emotions or our life. They have their origin and they have their root in the word of God. Does everything that you believe, does everything that you practice, does everything that you live have its root in the word of God? When you consider your life and I consider my life and my beliefs and my conduct, do I take into consideration what the world has to say about something? Does that factor in to to what I think and believe about something? Or am I totally and solely committed to the clarity and the simplicity of the word and ready to pronounce the world as a liar? You know, sometimes we feel the need, well, we've got to be open-minded. Your mind should only be open enough to determine whether what somebody says is of the word or not. And once you determine that it's not of the Word, then the mind is closed. There's no need to keep talking about it over and over again to try to satisfy somebody else's uh, intellectual curiosity. If it's a lie, call it a lie and move on. (laughs) Call it a lie and move on. Because that's what being of 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 God is all about. We're of the Scriptures. What is the relation between God and the world? As we said in the beginning, the world is opposed to God. The world is not neutral. The world is not kind of against God. The world is all the way, 100% totally committed in its animus and opposition to God. There is nothing that the world is going to do for you or do for me that's going to try to lead us to a better relationship with God. In James 4, verse 4, adulteresses and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So if we're a friend of the world, we're an enemy of God. Why? Because the world is an enemy of God. The world is an enemy of God. 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Notice how they are exclusive. Love of the world and love of the Father cannot exist together. Being a friend of the world and being a friend with God cannot exist together. They're mutually exclusive. And we have to see the clarity and the simplicity of the relationship between God and the world to truly appreciate what it means to not be of the world. The world has nothing to offer you as a Christian. The world has nothing to offer me as a Christian. The only thing that the world has to offer to you and me are lies and deceptions to take us away from the one that created us and loved us. Everything the world tells you, everything the world tells me has to be suspect. There is an agenda. And the agenda is very clear. I don't want you to serve God. Jesus says it's not of the Father, but of the world. So what's our application in this? What what does all of this mean? What does that look like in our life? How can I tell if I'm of the world or of God? Let's go back and look at 
the relationship between these two. To be of the world means that I'm going to take my lead from the world and then I'm going to turn to the Bible and I'm going to look at the Bible through the lens of the world. That's a popular statement today whenever uh, more, more liberal uh, people, theologians, whenever they look at the Bible, the phrase is, we need to look at the Bible through contemporary eyes. In other words, we need to look at our experience here And then after we look at our experience, then we turn and we look at the Bible and we seek to understand the Bible through our experience. And if the Bible says something is wrong, that in our experience we are accepting, then what we need to say is that the Bible is antiquated and our experience in the world takes precedence over the revelation of truth. But if we're of God then we read our Bibles and we look at truth and then we turn to the world and we assess the world in light of the truth. So if the Bible says it's this way and I turn to the world and the world is doing it a different way, then if I'm of God, I'm going to say, world, you're wrong. And I'm going to cling to the truth of the Bible. And there is no way that you can mix the two. There's no way that you can bring them together. The Bible presents them as clear and distinct and mutually exclusive. Well, let's see this in practicality. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. Here's a very vivid example of what we're talking about. This is the story of Eve in the garden. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. In this instance, right here at this moment, what is Eve of? (laughs) Eve is of God, isn't she? Here she is presented with an occasion. She is presented with an experience. And her response originates in God's word. And therefore she turns to this experience and she applies God's word to that experience. That would be being of God. But notice what the serpent says. The serpent says, you'll not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. That's the world's message. And so, yes, God says this, but the world is saying this. Now, what should have, what should have Eve done? What should she have done then? If she was truly of God, she would have said, you're a liar. End of story, right? Pretty simple, isn't it? But you know what? Rather than just speaking from the clarity of what God said, she comes over here and she takes what the serpent has said and now brings that over and begins to reason and think, not from the clarity of Scripture, but now from what the world has to say about the subject. And so we can think about Eve. God knows that I'll become like him, knowing good and evil. 
This would be Eve's contemporary thinking. Well, if God is so loving, why doesn't he want me to be happy? Or her contemporary thinking might be, hey, it's my life, it's my choice. Or her contemporary thinking might have been, you know, God calls that tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and if I eat it, I die. But I think I'm going to identify it as the tree of happiness. And so we see how that from the clarity of God's word, in taking what the serpent said, now her reasoning and her thinking is beginning to be of what? Of the world. And because her thinking was of the world, it led to exactly what the world seeks to lead us all to, and that's disobedience to God. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. And so why doesn't God want me to be happy? It's my life. It's my choice. I think I will identify this tree as the tree of happiness. And then she ate it. She exercised her choice. She lived according to her identity. And she questioned the loyalty and the faithfulness of God. Did that change the reality of anything? Absolutely not. She ate it. She disobeyed God. Just like God said. And the lesson that we get from this is that it shows to us how that whenever we consider what the world has to say about things, rather than holding to the clarity and the simplicity of what the Bible has to say about things, then many times we will either adulterate the purity of God's Word and water down the truth to where it really is no truth, or we will give ourselves over to the ways and the thinkings of the world. All because we don't hold to the simplicity and the clarity of the Scriptures. <clears throat> Let's look at this with a few other things. Well, first of all, here's our diagram. <laughs> so there's the tree of life. She could look at it from the world perspective. She could look at it from the clarity of Scripture. The clarity of Scripture was, the day you eat it, you'll surely die. How can you mess that up? How can you mess that up? You see, that's the thing about Satan. Satan's not just a liar. Satan's a deceiver, and there's a difference. I can tell you a lie. I'm the president of the United States. I just lied to you. you know, this is for analogy, I mean, you know, for a, for, a, for a spiritual purpose. You don't believe that. You don't believe that at all. That's what a lie is. A lie is just something that's not true. But to be deceitful, you're going to tell a lie and then you're going to decorate that lie and put that lie in a context to where it sounds believable and sounds true and then you move upon that. <clears throat> if I wanted you to believe I was the President of the United States, then I would have got together a motorcade 
to drive up to the building this morning and I would have had a lot of men in, 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 in dark suits with sunglasses jumping out, walking around, speaking into their collars like they're secret service people. You know, I would put on the whole show to try to get you to believe. So that's the difference between a lie and deceit. And that's the way Satan is. Satan didn't just say, you won't surely die. He didn't just leave it there because he knew she's not going to believe that. Who's she going to believe? If, if God says she will die and I say she won't die, you know, he's, she's going to believe God. And so he begins to work within her reasoning and her rationale in a way that evokes within her certain feelings, certain emotions, certain lines of reasoning that are going to lead her to believe what was very obviously untrue. That's the danger of the world. You and I are susceptible to deceit in this world if we don't cling to the clarity of scriptures and be of God. And have no patience, have no patience for a liar. Have no patience for a liar. <clears throat> as soon as the serpent said, you shall not surely die, Eve should have just thrown up her hand, I'm done. There's no need to talk about this anymore. But she didn't. She listened, and she listened, and she listened, and then she ate in disobedience. I fear that maybe sometimes the church is that way. Oh, we're over here, and we've got the Scriptures, but we're curious as to what the world has to say. And then we listen a little more. And we listen a little more. And then we listen a little more. And then we get to the point to where whenever we want to know the truth about something, we don't pick up the Bible. We go to YouTube to listen to some professor from some college from who, wherever. To be of God means to be of God's Word. Let's look at some contemporary issues and how we deal with this. The abortion argument. Brother Brent's going to talk about abortion later on in the week. I'm going to give you my five-minute lesson on abortion. Who are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to the world? Well, when is a fetus a person? When is this, you know, when is it viable? Doesn't a woman, isn't it her body and her choice? You know, well, what about this extreme circumstance? What about that extreme circumstance? You know, and we listen to that and we listen to that and we listen to that. Or are we going to listen to the word? Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. Is what's inside a mother living? Absolutely. Science will tell you. What's inside a mother is living. Is what's inside a mother a human? Absolutely. It's not a canine, not a feline, not an equine, not a bovine. It's human. It's a human being. It's a human being. The word man that's used there literally means human being. For in the image of God, he made human beings. If that child is a human being, that child is in the image of God, and because that child is in the image of God, that child cannot be killed. End of story. Isn't that pretty simple? Oh, well, it's not that simple. Okay, why not? Why not? You know what makes things difficult? Sin. Sin. 
Sin makes all this stuff hard. Sin makes all of this stuff hard. And are those situations and those extreme cases out there? They absolutely are. And do we need to deal with them as a group and as a body of compassionate, loving people? We, we do. But that doesn't change the truth that you don't kill a human being. Regardless of where that human being is in the development. Whether that child has just come together and is one day old in the womb or whether that person is laying on a bed in a nursing home a hundred years old. Very simple statement. Human being, image of God, don't kill. End of story. But the thing that complicates it is sin. I kind of think back to where the, the, the Pharisees were asking Jesus about divorce. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? What Jesus do? Did he begin a long discourse about divorce and the legalities of divorce and how it ought to be done? You know what he did? He said, uh, go back to the beginning. He made a male and female. What God's joined together, don't let man put asunder. Okay? Is divorce a reality? Absolutely. Does divorce complicate things? Absolutely. Where did divorce come from? Come from sin. You see, sin complicates matters. But sin does not change God's truth. Are there hard and, and gut-wrenching and emotional situations involved with the subject of abortion? There are. But rather than becoming emotive and, and becoming uh, caught up in the extremes of an argument and then turning to the Bible and say, well, you know, the Bible just can't mean that because, because it, just, it just doesn't seem right. No. We've got to look at what the Bible says. Human being, made in the image of God, don't kill. And then we come over here and we deal with this situation as best we can in the spirit of Christ, honoring the truth of God about life. So understand it from, its, from the point of view of not the world, but of God. Transgenderism. Men wanting to be women, women wanting to be men, taking young children that are going through the normal course of, of child development and, and understanding their identity in the world and their sex in the world, and then the moment that they, they, they question that, then we start throwing drugs down their throat in order to do what we think is uh, you know, some type of service to them out of an enlightened, progressive understanding of genderism. Are we going to listen to the world? Do people have difficulties understanding their gender or sexuality? Yeah, there are. It happens. It happens. But what we do is, whenever we have those, we don't just simply say, well, there's just no more man or woman anymore. We're just going to let people decide what makes them feel the best. Is that how we're going to do it? And be of the world? Or are we going to look at what the Bible says... In the beginning, male and female, he created them. He didn't create Adam and Eve and then give them a choice. He didn't create Adam and Eve and then tell them identify. And if you're not satisfied with male or female, make some up. He said, male, female, I created you that way. 
So they were male and female, not because of their choice or their identification. They were male and female because of the purpose and will of God. You are male and female because of the purpose and will of God. I am male because of the purpose and will of God. You know, we live in a, in a country, and I love this country, because of all of the rights and the privileges that, that it gives to us. But sometimes we, we, we feel like that since we have some choices in some things, we should have choices in everything. And there's just some things you don't have a choice in. First of all is God's creative acts. You can't change those. So am I going to go over here and say, you know what, well, you know, there are some kids that, you know, there, there are these men that feel trapped. They feel like they're women trapped in a man's body and it's just so hurtful. And, and these kids get, get bullied and they commit suicide. And, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not making light of that. And, and that's terrible and it's awful. But for all of those things that happen, the fact still remains, God made us male and female. And so when I come over here and I deal with those extreme, heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching situations, I do it from the foundation of there's a male and a female and God created us that way. We're not going to change truth to accommodate somebody's experience. We're going to try to take somebody's experience and help, it to help them to comport with the truth of God. That's what it means to be of God. Same-sex marriage. <clears throat> again well you got to marry who you love why can't I marry who I love <clears throat> you know that does sound unfair I got to marry who I love and then you know who am I to tell somebody that they can't marry somebody that they love even if that, uh, that somebody is of the same gender that doesn't seem fair and so because it's not fair then we need to Look at our contemporary experience. But what does the Bible say? That in the beginning when God instituted marriage, He made a woman and brought her to the man. He made a woman and brought her to the man. That's it. End of story. And when Jesus talked about marriage in Matthew 19, 9, the first thing that he said was, have you not read that he which made them in the beginning made them male and female? And all of the other issues that come up about marriage, they're not issues because the Bible is not clear about marriage. They're issues because of sin in people's hearts and not wanting to accept the clarity and the simplicity of Scripture. But people who are of God are going to hear God's word and they're going to speak with the clarity and the simplicity of the scriptures. Are we going to acknowledge all of these realities of sin out here that we as a body of believers have an obligation to address with compassion and with mercy and with truth? We're going to do that, but we're going to do it honoring the truth of God. Whenever we look at the question of race. Are we going to look at it from a worldly perspective or are we going to look at it from the godly perspective? You know, whenever you look at race, the, the, the modern day concept of race is not a biblical concept. It is not a biblical concept 
You can look at the history of the concept and date it back to 1500s, 1600s, and the whole concept was developed purposefully for the oppression of people. But yet, in our modern culture, we're trying to create a solution for racism based upon the very concept that made racism possible. Why don't we just throw out the concept and get back to the simplicity of the Scriptures where the Bible says He has made us from one blood, every nation of men, to dwell on all the face of the earth. That's what the Bible says. We don't have to divide up in groups and then, and then identify, okay, this is the oppressed group, this is the power group, so this is what this group... No, just look at everyone as a creation of God in the image of God. We are of one blood... And just get to the simplicity of the scriptures. And not get sucked into all of the academic arguments that are made to us. This is what kills me is all of these arguments, number one, are made from people that, number one, don't believe in God. I mean, they're godless. They're godless. Number two, if they do believe in God, it's not the true God, it's a God of their imagination. And a God that's not concerned with the truth that you and I are to be of. Now why would I want to listen to anyone like that about a subject like this? Or any other subject for that matter. It's the clarity and the simplicity. So whenever we look at being of the world or being of God, what's the big issue? You know, there's a lot of, lot of questions out there <clears throat> that we can, you know, and we engage the world in. A lot of things that we discuss with the world. I think there's just one big issue that all of them go back to the same thing. You know, whenever you're discussing something with someone or you're making an argument with someone, the first thing that you have to establish between the person that you're arguing with and yourself is, okay, what's the authority that we're going to accept? What's the authority? If I say, if I believe something and I say you have to believe the same thing, what I'm saying is there's someone or something above us that obligates you and obligates me to the same thing. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> there has to be a recognized authority. And a lot of times when we enter into these discussions about racism, transgenderism, same-sex marriage, abortion, we're arguing from two different worlds. There is the world that is of God. There is the world that is of the world. And whenever you're speaking to people from two different worlds, there is no way that progress can be made until, first of all, there is an accepted, recognized authority over both of you that you can appeal to that obligates both of you to the same thing. Again, I hope that made sense. You know, so if somebody comes up to you and says, you know, well, my body, my choice. <clears throat> the question is, what obligates me to believe what you say I need to believe? And you know what? When you ask people that question, a lot of times it stops them in their tracks because they've never thought about it. 
they've never thought about it. You know, if, if, if it's all about us, if we're all being true to ourselves, if we're all making our own choices and doing all of the things that we want to, and there's, then, you know, there's really no discussion that we can have with anyone because we're not obligated to anyone else other than ourselves. And whenever we come in conflict to ourselves, then we're going to have to recognize an authority over us to appeal to, to decide what it is that we're going to believe. And so the big question in all of these issues is not, is this right, is this wrong? This is the big issue. Is God the creator? Is God the creator? You know, whenever the Bible opens up, the Bible doesn't open up, God is love. The Bible doesn't open up with, God is truth. The Bible doesn't open up with God is merciful. The Bible opens up with in the beginning God created. God created. If God created, then God is the possessor of all things. If God created, everything is for his purpose. If God created, then all things are for him and back to him. So if God created, all arguments in creation are settled by God. And so if we believe that God created and we want to understand something, we go to the creator of everything, God's word. But if I'm talking with someone that doesn't believe that there is a God, how can I have an intelligent discussion with them if we're talking from two different worlds? And I would encourage you this week, as Trevor does his apologetics lessons, to understand the arguments for to be assured and confident in your heart that God is the creator. Because once you come to that understanding, then it simplifies things tremendously. All i got to do is just listen to what God says. But if I don't believe that God is creator, then, God is, then everything in this world is subject to my emotions, it's subject to my feelings, subject to my thoughts, and you have no standard and you have no stability or moral compass to live by. Nehemiah 9 and 6, You alone are the Lord, you made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, in, and you preserve them, all the host of heaven worship you, worships you. If you believe that, life can be very simple. If you believe that. The answers can be very clear. But if you don't believe that, then you end up in a world where people can't even tell you what a woman is. Is his word truth? Do you believe his word is truth? You know, Jesus said, sanctify them by thy truth, your word is truth. If God's word is truth, then what does that say about everything else? It's not true. Psalm 19, 7 to 9, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Do you believe God's law is perfect? The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Do you believe that? Or do you believe, well, I need to listen to what the world has to say about this. I had a young lady one time, she asked me, can you help me get together an argument against homosexuality where I don't have to talk about God and use the Bible? <laughs> no. 
Because if there's no God, there's no right or wrong, and just do what you want to. Yeah, it might be uh, biologically inconvenient, and it might cause, you know, some emotional issues and some societal challenges, but to just to simply say that it's wrong, no, you can't. Whenever we converse with the world, we need to be honest with the world. And we need to preface every discussion with someone in the world about all of these issues that we're talking about. The very first thing that we need to say is, I believe that God is the creator and I believe his word is true. That's where I'm coming from. I'm not going to try to shade you. I'm not going to try to fool you. I'm just going to tell you that's where I'm coming from. And if they don't want to talk to you, well, that's just like John said. They don't want to hear God. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. If I believe that about God's Word, then that gives me clarity in life and gives a simplicity to my life. Now, does that mean that we're not going to encounter hard decisions and hard choices and hard situations in the world? No, they're going to be there. And those are difficult to deal with. But so far as knowing as to what the truth is, it's very, very clear. So I ask you this morning, are you of the world? Or are you of God? What is your first resource whenever it comes to the moral issues of this day? What's your first resource? Is it to turn to the Bible and hear what the Bible has to say and then turn to the world and judge your experience in the world based on the reality of the Bible? Or is it to turn to the world and watch the YouTube videos and then read all the books and then turn back to the Bible and say, well, the Bible can't mean that because this is what's happening. can't do that. You can't do that. Well, let's just try to marry the two. No, you can't marry the two. If we're going to try to marry the two, if we're going to try to marry the world and the Bible, that's what we need to do with our Bible. Does that offend you? <laughs> to see a Bible thrown in the trash? Well, whenever we try to marry God's Word with the philosophies and the intellect and the reasonings of the world, that's what we're doing. We're just taking God's Word and throwing it in the trash. And let me ask you this, whenever you pull that word out of the trash, is it going to be better for the experience? No. <clears throat> There's nothing in that trash that that word needs. My uncle used to have a saying, you know, uh, about going to the world and looking for good things in the world. It's like digging through a pig's slop bucket looking for a good biscuit. <clears throat> it may have been good whenever it, put, it was put in there, but after it's set in there, it's not going to be good anymore. Anything that we subject to the word, to the world, is not going to be any good anymore. And that means if we take the Bible and we subject it to the world, then that truth is not going to be any good anymore because we're going to allow the world to water that truth down and to marginalize that truth so that it has no power and clarity whatsoever. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, <clears throat> and you desire to be one. <clears throat> the world has set itself against you, and the world is working to keep you from God. 
The world is telling you, you don't need God. You don't need to be a Christian. You don't need to be a part of that closed-minded group that meets up there at Northwest Church of Christ. You don't want to associate with those people. But you need to understand, first of all, that God is creator. That God created you and he created you. You are his possession and you are for his purpose. And in his will, he has told you that you're a sinner. You're a sinner. Now the world may tell us, you know, feel good about yourself, live your best life. But the Bible says you're a sinner. And as a sinner, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. You know, sometimes the simple things aren't easy to listen to, but the simple things are what we need to hear. And Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He went to the cross as a perfect person. He wasn't of the world. He disavowed the world. And because he was not of the world, he lived sinlessly before God and go to the cross, and he died on the cross as a sinner, not because of his sin, but because of your sin. And his truth tells us that you need to be in Christ for Christ's death to be your death and satisfy the righteous judgment of God. His truth tells us that we do that whenever we're immersed with our Lord in baptism. You look at your life. You don't want to live that way. You want to walk another course. You repent of your sins. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God and be buried with him in baptism. You now become a Christian in the family of God. If you're here this morning and you are a Christian, and maybe you're taking your lead from the world, Maybe you're one of those that are, are kind of at a halt between two opinions. Yeah, the Bible says this, but boy, the world makes some pretty good arguments over here. You need to just see what the Bible says. And regardless of what these arguments are, if these arguments aren't what the Bible says, just reject. Those are liars. The world is a liar. And see with clarity the truth of God's Word. And embrace that clarity. And if being of the world, following the world's philosophy has led you into any sin, and you pray and you desire to have those sins forgiven and to bring that burden to the congregation, they'd be glad to help you at this time. And so we have a song selected, so if there's someone here that has a matter, please come forward as we stand and sing.